All right, good morning, everybody. How you feeling today? Just, they say dress appropriately. It's the safe thing to do. So anybody else have a coat that they've had in their attic for nine years waiting for this morning to finally pull it out? I just thought you had to see. This is, this is what you're supposed to wear on a day like today. Get puffy on Sunday morning, all right? Um, I just had to show you what I wore today. Uh, hey, good morning. I'm Tim, and we're continuing our series today called Confidence. And what we're trying to do is just what we were talking about. What's the Bible? How do we get it? And why is it important? And this is important for us um, because we want to be word-dependent people. If that's, uh, if that's who we want to be, we got to understand what this thing is that we have, okay? Um, Last week, we looked at the Hebrew Bible, what we call our Old Testament. And what Dave Grun said, and I'll say it again today, is um, I'll say the same thing he said. This is not a, like if you're new with us, this is not what we typically do on our, in our weekend services. It's a little bit different kind of message. It's something we would probably do like in a workshop or something. Um, but we think it's so important that we're, gonna, that we're taking a, a couple of Sundays and doing something different while we're together. Um, last week we looked at the Old Testament. This week we're going to look at the Greek New Testament. Don't worry, you don't have to read Greek. I won't even, I mean, I won't tell you a single Greek word this morning, all right? But we're going to be looking at the Greek New Testament. What is that? Why does that matter? Um, the New Testament that you have in your Bible is an English translation of the Greek New Testament. Sort of. Because we don't have an original copy of the Greek New Testament. We don't have one. The, the original writings, we don't have a single original of these writings in our New Testament. Um, we have copies of copies and copies of copies of copies. That's where your English Bible comes from. It's a translation of that. You might find that a little disconcerting. Well, we don't have the originals, so what does that mean for us? What should we do about that? How do we even talk about that? Well, WWJD, everybody. What would Jesus do? And what did he do? Now, Jesus didn't read the Greek New Testament. He, he didn't have it. The, the, it didn't exist at the time that he walked the earth. What he did is he read scrolls. That's what Jesus did. He read scrolls, and the scrolls weren't the Greek New Testament. They were the Hebrew Scriptures, um, he, he had what we call the Old Testament. And look what he did. Look at, um, at Luke chapter 4, uh, verses 16 to 21. We'll put it on the screen. Luke chapter 4. Now, this is at the very beginning of Jesus' teaching. And uh, so the beginning of his ministry. And Luke tells us that he's going all throughout the region of Galilee. And he's teaching. And he's sharing this message of good news. And he comes to his hometown. And that's what happens here. Luke 4, starting in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. 
Now, notice what Jesus does here. People are wanting, this is, this is his hometown, all right? And he's, he's now making a name for himself. People are starting to hear about Jesus of Nazareth. He comes back to Nazareth, and I imagine the number one question people have is, who does he think he is, and what does he think he's doing? He's this local boy who is now talking like he's literally the king of the world, okay? Um, so what they're asking, what is he, what is he thinking? Who does he think he is, and what does he think he's, do, he's doing? And to answer them, Jesus goes to the Hebrew Scriptures, to the Old Testament. He takes a scroll. It's the book of Isaiah. It's Isaiah 61 is what we would call that. He opens the scroll of Isaiah. He finds Isaiah 61, and he reads from there. The way that he explains who he is and what he's doing, he says it's coming right out of here. What the scriptures that you have said, that you, that you have had, what they have said is gonna happen, it's happening now, and it's happening in me right in front of you. He's saying, I am what's happening now. This is a continuation of that ancient scriptural story, the story of God that, that's been told before you. But just as that Bible Project video said, the story hadn't come to its completion yet. And so Jesus points to this idea that at the same time that he's, that he's living out what was predicted before, he's saying something new is happening. Not something disconnected, not something detached what happens from what happened before, a continuation of that, but something new is happening. And he says very clearly that there's a new message that's going out. It's good news that's going out, good news for those who are in desperate need of good news. This is our big idea as we, uh, as we talk about the New Testament this morning, is this, that by faith we believe scripture reveals Jesus as the completion of God's story. We believe scripture reveals Jesus as the completion of God's story. And see how that statement starts? It's by faith. It is by faith. There's good evidence, really good evidence that speaks to what the New Testament is, um, that it's trustworthy and reliable and authoritative. But we're not gonna get into most of that today. We'll touch on it a little bit. Because the reality is, this is still an act of faith. So for those of us who believe, we just want to say, is it reasonable for us to believe that these scriptures are what God wants us to have to understand who Jesus is and to understand that he is the completion of God's story? It's an act of faith. And I put there scripture. I could have said the New Testament. That's what we're going to focus in on. I could have said the New Testament reveals Jesus. It, it does. But it's all of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, reveals who he is. Jesus looked back at the Hebrew Scriptures and said, what's happening now is described in those Scriptures, and what's happening now is a completion of the story, and that story, the completion of the story, the rest of it that's unfolding before you, that story needs to be told. And that's why we have a Greek New Testament. That's why we have a New Testament. Not because we needed a new set of rules or in the first century, like, they needed to update their theology or contextualize it better. You know, we're not coming out of ancient Egypt anymore. We live in the Roman Empire. It's a new age. Let's update our, our understanding of who God is so we, so we get it better in the day and age that we live. That's not why Jesus came and that's not why we have a New Testament. We have uh, a New Testament because there was an old covenant and it had sacred writings that told the story of God. Told the story of that covenant, 
of how people came into relationship with God and what his call on their lives was and how, for, how they were meant to live out their life with him. And now Jesus is saying there's a new covenant and it's going to need writings that tell the story of that covenant. At the Last Supper, as Jesus was sharing that meal with his disciples, he said this cup is a new covenant in my blood. It just means a new way of relating to God. There was an old way that people related to God through the law and he's saying now there's a new way and because there's a new way, there needs to be a new covenant. This new message needs to go out. It needs to be captured and spread and shared and writing it down is the best way to do that. And so just like there was an Old Testament, there came to be a New Testament. Now, as we talk about this and what is the Bible and what is the New Testament, last week Dave mentioned three key concepts. He mentioned inspiration, authority, and inerrancy. Three really important um, things when it comes to understanding what the Bible is. Last week we focused on, um, on inspiration. Uh, this week, we're going to focus on the second one, on authority. Next week, during our question-response time, we'll get into the, uh, the idea of inerrancy. And so that's just a reminder, during this series, we are collecting questions from you guys. So um, there's a link in your bulletin. When you do the Live It Out, there's a link on that page. Uh, on our website. So you can submit a question if you have a question about the Bible, what it is, why does it matter. Next week, we're gonna address as many of those as we can. Um, so last week, we focused on inspiration. We saw that God used people and process to give us the scriptures. That's what God has done. That's how the idea of inspiration works. It's a divine and human process. God is the author but he also worked through human authors, people with knowledge and skill and a perspective. That's how we got the Old Testament scriptures, people and process. God is a divine author, human author, and God used those together. The, uh, and it's the same is true of the Greek New Testament. It's the same way that it came about. God used eight or nine human authors, and they actually had people helping them, and God used those people and that process to give us the Greek New Testament. And we'll talk a little bit about that process today, but our focus this week is gonna be on authority. I just, uh, on the authority of scripture. And I just wanna give you three things as we, as we go along today, um, three things on that topic. Uh, and, and just so you know, we'll spend most of our time on the first one, okay? So don't get worried. Uh, and then we'll move through the second two a little bit faster. First one is this. The authority of scripture rests on Jesus. So if you wonder, like, why should I listen to what this book says? The authority of Scripture rests on Jesus. Again, we're focusing on the New Testament. I could have said the authority of the New Testament, but, but I want to make this point. We believe the Old Testament has authority because Jesus treated it that way. He treated it as authoritative. The Old Testament, that was, those, that was his Bible. Those were his Scriptures that he used, that he read from, that he learned and so we do the same. So the Old Testament has authority because Jesus treated it that way. And the New Testament rests, the authority of the New Testament rests on Jesus because the whole of the New Testament comes from Jesus. Maybe, maybe not in the way you would imagine. If you actually you go, well, what part of the New Testament did Jesus write? Okay, on one hand, from an inspiration standpoint, Jesus, as God in the flesh, Jesus, by his spirit, inspiring the authors who wrote the New Testament, the human authors, you could, you could say, okay, Jesus wrote the whole New Testament because his spirit was working through them as they wrote. But I would say that even from a human standpoint, the whole of the New Testament comes from Jesus. 
though he did not write it pen in hand. It comes from him. So the New Testament was written, I'll explain why, what I mean by that. The New Testament was written over a period of about 50 years, okay? Uh, so last week we talked about the Old Testament. Over a period of about 1,000 years it was written down. The New Testament, written down in, a, in about 50 years, roughly 50 A.D. to 100 A.D. Some people would say maybe 40 to 90, but somewhere around in that, in that time frame. We're, we're making estimates here, about a 50-year period. 27 books make up our New Testament. They're, you've maybe noticed, they're not in chronological order. They skip around a little bit in time, like the Old Testament does. Like the Old Testament, they're organized by genre, okay? By the type of book it is. And so, our New Testament has four Gospels, a history book, then 21 letters, also called epistles, and then one book at the end that's, that's apocalyptic literature. And just so you know, apocalyptic does not mean the end of the world. We come to use it that way, but apocalyptic is just a word that means revelation. An apocalypse is just something being revealed. That's, what the, that's the kind of literature that the last book in the New Testament is. It was the last one written. Now, there's some perception that these books were chosen and made sacred, set apart, hundreds of years after Jesus. That, that, that hundreds of years went by and finally people went, okay, these are the books that matter. These are the books that, are, that we're gonna make part of scripture. That's not actually what happened. I, you know, I never saw or read the Da Vinci Code years ago, but I know that was a big deal. That gave a lot of confusion about how this process worked and when it came about. Um, it's not accurate. This, this real story went something more like this. Um, how did the Bible Project video put it? It was like, Jesus came, did some cool things, and died. That's an interesting summary, and it's maybe not the way I would describe the life of Jesus, but those guys are smart. I, I'm not worried about it. Um, but Jesus came, and he, it, it, the last three years of his life were his public ministry. And during that time, he spoke, and he taught, and he lived, and he died, and he rose again. And while he was walking the earth, he chose people who would be, he called them, Apostles. Apostles just means sent ones. So they were the ones who were going to be sent out to carry the message, the good news that he came to tell and to live and to show. The good news of Jesus. They were meant to be the ones who would carry that out as sent ones. And at first, they spoke the message. That's the first thing they did. Like you look at Acts 2, at first, just like the, actually, interestingly, just like the Old Testament, it started off as an oral message. So you look at Acts 2, what does Peter do? He stands up in front of the people of Jerusalem and he tells the story of Jesus. And people hear it, and when they hear it, their hearts are torn, and they say, what do we need to do to be saved? And thousands came to put their faith in Jesus as the apostles told the story of Jesus. And then... With time, it became a story that was both spoken and written down. Uh, Saul of Tarsus, Paul was another apostle of Jesus. He selected Paul and commissioned him and said, I'm sending you, a sent one, to go out and share this message, this good news. And that's what he did. And at first he went places and it was an oral message. He, he went to new cities and he told people about Jesus. And then he began to write things down. Uh, Luke was writing things down, down that Paul was saying and where he was going. And, and Paul was writing down the things he had learned from Jesus 
in letters and sending them to the churches. They found that if we write this stuff down, more people can have access to it in more places. That's good news for us, you know? So they began to write the message down. Um, now, most of the New Testament was written by apostles, but not all of it. Um, some of it was written down by someone who heard the message from them. The apostles had trusted followers, and God used some of those followers of the apostles, still that first generation of Jesus' followers, connected directly to the apostles who came from Jesus. Um, but he used some of them. They had the skills and the gifts that were needed for the task of capturing the message of Jesus and sharing it with the world. For example, Luke. You read Luke's gospel. makes no, like it's nobody's trying to hide where this story came from or, or who wrote it. Um, the, uh, Luke says at the very beginning what his intentions are. If you, if you just read the first couple verses of, the, of Luke's gospel, you'll see. He's like, look, other people have written the story down, but I think it's important. Like God put it in his heart. The spirit moved him. He said, now I need to write another account from another perspective of what Jesus came and said and did. And so he wrote it down. And he, used, like, he said other people have written things down. And he went and he probably used some of those other things that had been written down. He talked to the people who were there. He was friends with those guys, with those apostles. He knew them, and so he wrote his account of it. God used him to give another witness to the life and the message of Jesus. So after Jesus had died, uh, raised from the dead, ascends to heaven, then some time passes, and these things begin to get written down. Like I said, first it was an oral message, and then they start to get written down. Some of them, you know, it's decades have gone by when these start to get written down. 20, 30 years have gone by since Jesus died. And I don't know what you think, I forget a lot in 20 years, you know? It makes you one kind of wonder, well, how'd they remember everything, you know? How do they know what Jesus said, and how did they write that down? Well, Tim Mackey from, uh, from the Bible Project gives a, uh, a good illustration of this. He, he basically says, like, okay, they didn't just sit down after 20 years and go, hold on, 20 years have passed. We got to write this down. What did Jesus say that night again? Can anybody remember? Can we write that? No. This was a story they had been telling. It's like, this is the example Tim Mackey gives. It's like, okay, my wife Kara and I have been married. This summer it'll be 25 years. And... If, if I, for like for our 25th anniversary, we decided, let's write down the story of the night we met, you know? If we did that, we wouldn't sit down and go, okay, do you remember what happened that night? Let's think that, no. You know why it wouldn't be hard for us to do? Because we have been practicing telling that story over and over again for the last 25 years. Because, you know, you meet somebody new, you meet a new couple or something like that, you're making small talk, here's a sure thing, somebody's, everybody's gonna have a story. Hey, how'd you guys meet? You always ask that story, it comes up, and then Kara and I tell the story. We have a way of telling it. We each tell different parts. We've gotten good at telling that story, that it was October 31st, it was Monday Night Football, Chicago Bears versus Green Bay Packers. She's a Packers fan. I'm a Bears fan. You should feel bad for me. And it was, it was at Soldier Field, like 35 degrees and driving rain, and the Packers destroyed the Bears. It was a horrible night. 
but I met my wife. So it turned out, it turned out pretty well. Like we're used to telling that story. Now, when we tell it, we don't tell every single detail of it, but we tell the important parts, and we know those parts, and we know them well. It's what really happened that night. It's the same thing as these men wrote down what happened, what Jesus said, what he did. They knew them. Now, they weren't sitting there. Matthew wasn't sitting, like, is Jesus doing this? Given the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus probably, uh, Matthew's probably not there like writing as fast as he can on a scroll. And I'm sure people were writing some things down, but just think about it. Afterwards, he says that the apostles are sitting, the disciples are sitting around that night going, no, remember when he said this? And somebody else, yeah, remember when he said this? Already in the moment that it's happening, it's getting solidified in their mind. So you can see this, this is not like some unbelievable thing that 20 or 30 years they would be able to write an accurate account of what happened. And on top of that, they were filled with God's spirit. Jesus told him in John 14, the Spirit's going to come. I'm going to send him to you. And he's going to bring to your mind everything that I said. So they had their human memory, their human recollection. They also had the supernatural work of the Spirit of God in them. And so the message of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, went through these men into the books that they wrote by the Spirit. And so it's the authority of Jesus in the message of Jesus that we find when we read the New Testament. From the beginning, these, these writings were received as scripture as, as, as sacred, some of them even before they were written down while they were still, um, while they were still oral. They were, they, were still, they were received as sacred. Look at Ephesians 2. I'll put it on the screen. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. This is Paul writing uh, several decades later um, after Jesus died. And he says, so then, a, a couple decades later, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, Paul was not writing to tell them, hey, this is the deal with, uh, with, the, with the scripture, with the, with, the, with the new writings from the apostles. That's not what he's writing to tell them, but look at what he says. He's telling them, look, you guys are Gentiles. You're not, you didn't grow, like you didn't, if you didn't grow up Jewish, that's all right. We're now all, you're, we're all being built together into a dwelling place for God. But look at what he says about the foundation of it built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. He's saying, look, the foundation of our life in Christ, Jesus is the cornerstone, but the foundation of our, of our, of our life in Christ comes from the apostles and prophets. The, the ones who were writing and had written these words down, the message of Jesus. And when he says apostles, he's talking about the people that Jesus sent out. When he says prophets, he might be talking about the Old Testament prophets, he might be talking about the prophets in, in the church, but he says, look, this message is the message we are meant to build our lives on. And that message is what we have captured in the Greek New Testament, in the scriptures. As you can see it in, in 2 Peter 3.16. Peter refers, the apostle Peter, refers to Paul's writings as scripture. Like scripture's hard to understand sometimes, like Paul. Like the other scriptures. Like he, he, puts, he lumps Paul's writings in with the Hebrew Old Testament. So even at the very beginning of the, of the movement of Jesus, people are saying, well, yeah, these, these, this message from the apostles is the word of God. It's sacred, and we need it, and we need to build our lives on it. Now, 
There are others telling other stories of the life of Jesus. There are other gospel accounts. There are other letters that claim to be from the apostles, but were really written by somebody else. And so it's a messy process. It's not like, oh, okay, we have what the apostles said, done, we're good. No, actually, over a period of, um, of 100, 150 years, the church had to sort out, okay, are all of these, which are the right ones, which are the ones that we, we, should, we should be getting rid of? Um, but by about 175, about 175 A.D., around there, um, this, again, that's maybe, maybe 100 years, less than 100 years maybe, after the last book of the New Testament was written, uh, there was good consensus on which books were accepted as Scripture and which were not. There wasn't total agreement. There was a process. It was a complicated process. There wasn't, there wasn't total agreement. There's still people who disagree. There wasn't total agreement. But those 27 books of the New Testament had risen to the surface less, just 100 years after um, they were done being written. But it was a complicated process. And it was a little bit messy. But here's the second thing I want you to know. That we can have confidence that we have the scriptures God intended us to have. We can, we can have confidence that we have the scriptures he intended us to have. It was messy. It was a complicated process. Um, unlike the Old Testament, Dave talked a little bit about this last week, the Old Testament scriptures were, for the most part, copied by expert copyists, scribes. These were people whose whole families, for generations, their job was, we are professional copiers of scripture. And so they would they would copy the scrolls from one scroll to another. They'd make copies of it, and they would teach their children how to do it, and then their children would do it, and they would teach their children. They knew what they were doing. It wasn't always that way with the New Testament. So the New Testament, uh, written in Koine Greek, which was the, which was the com- there, there were a lot of dialects of Greek at the time, but this was like the common trade language, the common man's language, and so a lot of common people ended up copying the Greek New Testament. Sometimes they were under persecution. They were living in an empire and in a society that wanted them squashed, and they knew this message needed to get out. Paul he sends a, message, a letter to the church in Colossae, and he says at the end of it, you look in Colossians 4, he says, look, um, when you're done with this letter, make sure you send it to this other church and make sure you get the letter that, they, that I sent to them and you guys read it in your church. So there was this idea of we need to share what's been given to us. And so they were copying these things down, sometimes under persecution. So sometimes you have people who are barely literate copying the Greek New Testament, one manuscript, um, one copy of it to another. And so sometimes they made mistakes. Don't be too hard on them. You got your bulletin? We made a mistake on that one, all right? <laughs> Even in the 21st century, copy, pay, we can still make mistakes. Second one on there, we missed the word scriptures on the second, on the second point. We can have confidence that we have the scriptures. It's an important word, but it's easy to do. We even, pro- we even proofed, we had people proof the, um, the bulletin, and we missed it because your brain just has a way of skipping over some things sometimes. It's just the way it is. You see things that aren't there sometimes. That happens. Sometimes there were unintentional mistakes in the copying of the New Testament. So you take a verse, so you don't have to turn there, 1 Thessalonians 2.7. If you go there sometime and look in your verse, Paul writes, we were gentle among you. But down at the bottom, if you got an ESV, down at the bottom, there'll be a little note that says, some manuscripts say infants. 
In Greek, there is a one-letter difference. Just a letter, the first letter of the word changes the word from infants to gentle. And so somewhere along the line, somebody wrote it as gentle, somebody wrote it as infants. Somebody got it right and somebody got it wrong. And we don't really know for sure which one is in the original. So there's an unintentional error there. Now, the good news is, how much does that change the meaning of that passage? When Paul says, we were, light, we were gentle among you, or when he says, we were infants among you. If you read the context of, the, of, that, of that letter, it, it means the exact same thing. If he said, we were infants among you, he didn't mean we were incompetent. He meant we were gentle. I mean, that's the message he's, he's giving there. So there's an error. It's an unintentional error. Um, but ultimately, it ends up being very insignificant in our understanding of what the text means. Uh, sometimes there are intentional errors in Scripture. Sometimes people who were copying just decided, uh, I think I'm going to change what it says. I, I just want to be helpful, you know? I'll just be helpful in, in how I do this. And so, like in, in Mark's gospel, the second verse it says, um, as is written in the prophet Isaiah. Well, some manuscripts just say, as is written in the prophets. Somewhere along the line, probably, one of these people is copying down and goes, I know where this is from. This is from Isaiah. Why don't I help everybody out? I won't just write as it says in the prophets. This is written in the prophet Isaiah. Boom, I just improved the New Testament. You know, um, not, not what we want to do. But it happened. Now, again, does it change the meaning of that? No, but as we go back, we go, well, well we, we, one of these is not the original, obviously, so we don't have the original. So we find errors and mistakes in there. But here's what we need to know. A complicated process is not a broken process. Just because something's complicated doesn't mean it's broken. Just because it's, you have to work to figure it out doesn't mean that it's broken. Look, here's the reality. We have about 5,500 manuscripts of the New Testament. 5,500 manuscripts of the New Testament with more coming all the time. I mean, not every day, but, but most of those were found in the second half of the 19th century and in the 20th century. That's when most of them were found, so relatively recently in the big scheme of things. And so they're still finding more of these manuscripts, 5,500 of them so far. Um, and now, they're not, it's not 5,500 copies of the Greek New Testament, but it's 5,500 um, uh, Greek manuscripts. Sometimes it's a whole book or a couple or parts of several books together. Um, sometimes it's a, it's a little fragment with just a few sentences or, or even just a few words on it. So you go, well, how good is that? Is 5,500 enough? I don't, well, compare it to this. The next best, the next most reliable ancient Greek text we have is Homer's Iliad. You maybe read it in school sometime. And you read it because people go, well, yeah, this is what Homer wrote, because they have 650 manuscripts of it. 650 is a lot. It's nowhere near 5,500. And, and most of those came hundreds of years after Homer wrote. In fact, the oldest one came four or 500 years after he wrote. The oldest one they have, the closest they get, is four to 500 years after. For the New Testament, the oldest manuscript is a little piece of John's gospel that's from only about 30 or 40 years after John wrote it. We've, we've, got, a cop, we've, got, we've got a piece of a copy that's that old. Um, so, so there were mistakes, but... As experts look at all of these manuscripts, they go, okay, 
well, this one says it this way, this one says it a little bit this way, which, which one's the oldest, which one's the most reliable? And they're figuring out, okay, how do we have the best copy of the, the best copy? It's a copy, but how do we have the best copy of the Greek New Testament? And the interesting thing is, of, of those errors and, and, and disagreements, confusion about what was in the original, really the only substitute, substitute only the things that really matter are... Um, the beginning of John, chapter 8, and you'll see this in your Bible. It, it, it makes no attempt to try and hide it. You will see it. It's like the oldest, most reliable manuscripts don't have. The beginning of John, chapter 8, the very ending of Mark's gospel. Those, we go, oh, they don't seem to be in the oldest and the most reliable. Well, what do we do with them? Well, so English Bible publishers translate them, and they put them in there, and they just give you that note and go, we aren't really certain about this. And there are some experts out there who go, those are scripture. They belong in there. They are original. They are from the apostles. And there are other people who go, no way. These are not original. They are not from the apostles. They shouldn't be in there. Okay. Well, so we put them in, and we put a note next to it. And we just go, okay, well, so I'm not going to build anything just on that little section of scripture. Now, listen, if we took the Bible to be a book, a rule book, if this thing was mostly about how do we find the rules and what do we do, well, then that would be a problem. Like to have a chunk of scripture like that and go, well, are these rules we're supposed to follow or rules we're not supposed to follow? That would be a big problem. But instead, when we look at scripture as what it is, as an unfolding story that shows us who God is and what he's doing in the world, a whole story that points from beginning to end to Jesus. He's the, the, the pinnacle of that story. He's the completion of that story. When we look at it that way, then we can take those pieces and go, okay, what do they say? Where do they fit with the rest of the story? Do they stand out somewhere? Are they, well, okay, we're not trying to make a rule or a law from one verse in one of those passages. Instead, we're trying to understand the whole message of scripture. So, we can be confident that the scriptures we have are the scriptures that God intended us to. And most importantly, because we believe in a God who never fails. I mean, you set all of that evidence aside and you just go, well, okay, at the end of the day, we say we believe in a God who raises people from the dead. If Jesus could be crucified on a cross, publicly executed, and then come out of that grave and walk and teach and speak and return to heaven. If he could do that, certainly, certainly he can get the message to us. Certainly he can have the right people at the right time write it down and the right people copy it and us find the right copies so that today we have a version, a copy of the scriptures that we can be confident in. We believe in a God who never fails. The last thing, the third thing about the authority of Scripture is this. These authoritative and trustworthy writings are our foundation for following Jesus. They are our foundation for following Jesus. Just think about that. It just makes sense. It's logical. If they're authoritative, if they carry the authority of Jesus, if these came from him, the people who he commissioned and sent out wrote these Scriptures for us, if that's... Um, if, if they have the authority of Jesus, and if they're trustworthy, if we have the scriptures that God intended us to have, then they should be a foundation for, for us as we follow Jesus. Look back at Ephesians 2, that passage we looked at before. It says, you're, it, it says there's a new life that you're living, a new way of being, a new people that you're gonna be, and it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. He says, he says, 
you meant to build your life, this new life you have as a community of Jesus followers. It's meant to be built on what you received from the apostles. We received this message from the apostles of Jesus. He sent them to give it, not just in the first century, but so that we would have it today. If Jesus has given you a message for you to receive today, shouldn't you build your, your life on it? Here's, here's why this matters. Um, in, in 2018, just a few years ago, a huge survey was done. Asked a bunch of people a lot of questions. And one of the things they found was this. 45% of Southerners in the U.S., I don't know how they define Southerners. We can debate about that. Where's Kentucky? I don't know. Um, 45% of Southerners who consider themselves Christians in 2018, almost half, never go to church or go once a year. Okay? Once or less a year, they, they, they set foot in, inside a church. Okay? Now, these people, um, 89% of them say the Bible is the inspired word of God. So that group of people, 89%, that's, that's just about all of them, say the Bible is the inspired word of God. And yet, they don't gather with God's people in the church. Um, interestingly, they have some interesting views. Overwhelmingly, that group, they're uh, opposed to abortion. But the vast majority of them have no concerns about premarital sex or, um, or homosexual sex. It's not an issue. It's not a moral, moral issue for them. Now, listen, I just got done saying the Bible is not a rule book, okay? It's not there for us to go, okay, what are the rules we gotta follow? But the Bible does show us how to live in the world that God created. It instructs us. It's wisdom. You've been, if you've been doing the live it out, you've been in Psalm 119. You know scriptures are meant to guide us in how we live our lives. They're meant to do that. And so we should, if we believe the scriptures are the inspired word of God, we should care what they say and we should live our lives accordingly. So you see the issue. These people our, our, our church is surrounded by people like this. They say they know what the Bible is, but they don't actually believe that's what it is or they would act like it. They say they know what it is, but they don't. It's our foundation for following Jesus, so don't live that way. Don't live that way. I'm not saying like, they're the bad people, don't be like them, but they're wrong and they're missing out on the life that Jesus has called them to. They go, I'm a Christian. You're missing out. He didn't call you to just pray a prayer and then go your own way. No, he called you to live a new life with him. He's the cornerstone. The scriptures are the foundation. You're gonna build your life on those. And so we wanna live in such a way that we go, the New Testament and the Old Testament are authoritative. They have authority over my life because it's the authority of Jesus. And so I wanna pay attention. I wanna learn. I wanna obey. I wanna submit. I wanna follow Jesus. By faith, we believe scripture reveals Jesus as the completion of God's story. I wanna live in that story and I want him to change me and use me every day of my life for what he wants. The scriptures will show me that kind of life. And so what do we do? We, we live it out. Uh, we, we, we sometimes say around here, if you, take, if you, if you sign up for Wade In, take it in, uh, in and start that class in a couple weeks, you'll hear us say, we say depth, is application. You want to go deeper? You want to go deeper in the scriptures? You want to go deeper in our messages? 
Figure out how to apply it in your life. Figure out how do I live this out. And so that's why we say five days a week at least, we're gonna give you a tool um, to help you engage with God through his word. That's what it's about. Engage with him through his word. This week on Monday, you'll ask a question. Uh, You'll ask Jesus a question. It's this, what one area of my life, what's one area of my life that I struggle to submit to your authority? I mean, just on Monday morning to slow down and open God's word, to pray through a little portion of Psalm 119 and then ask Jesus, what's one area of my life that I struggle to submit to your authority? And maybe in that moment, he will bring something to your mind or maybe he will let you wrestle with that through the rest of the day or the rest of the week. But he will speak, he will answer, he will show you if your eyes and your ear, the ears of your heart are open to hear what he has to say. He wants to engage with you, so engage with him by his spirit and by his word. He's worth our time. He's worth our effort. These scriptures are worth our time and our effort because Jesus is worthy. He's the one we wanna follow. He's the one we wanna submit to. He's the one we wanna worship. That's how we're gonna finish today. So, um, so wherever you are in here, at home, online, or if you're down the hall in Blend, or out at Bearden, um, wherever you are, we're gonna, we're gonna finish by worshiping God today. So let me pray before we do that. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you have given us your word, that you haven't left us in the dark, and it's sometimes, God, it is confusing, and uh, sometimes it's hard to know exactly what you meant or why you said what you said or did what you did, but we trust you. Um, we, trust, we trust Jesus, and so we trust your word, and we want you to show us how to live. We want to have Uh, We wanna have something to build our lives on, God, lives that matter not just today but for all eternity. And we believe you can do that. We believe you are that. And so we wanna build our lives on you, God. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.